welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Welcome to Rugged Theology. I am your host, as usual, Adam Diamond, and today we're going to be talking about progressive Christianity and what it is. Um, uh, we started this podcast just to help inform people in our province about you know, theological aspects and what church planting look, looks like, because it just it hasn't been done here in a very long time, and any attempt at it hasn't really worked recently. Uh, but it's it's something that we really want to clarify with people in the province and give them a tool about some good theological feedback and what you know how to actually read your bible and look at it and what it means to actually be a christian and not just have cultural christianity like we see a lot of people here so today we're going to look at progressive christianity and what that is this might not be a term you're used to around here but you might find yourself in a progressive church and not know it and with that said i hope this podcast helps you and today actually we have a very special guest joining me who is an author, an apologist, and even a member of a Christian group you may remember, Zoe Girl. Um, my wife was a big bit of a fan of that group. Uh, so welcome to uh, Alisa Childers. Did I say your name right? Alisa uh, Childers. Childers, yeah, it's, okay. It's not easy, but it's great to be <laughs> with you, Adam. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate your time and for you uh, joining us. You're probably the biggest name we've had on this podcast. We're a very small thing, and I you was know, just very grateful that you would uh, give us your time to answer some questions. Oh, it's my, I'm honored. I love what you guys are doing, and anything I can do to help in that endeavor, I'm, I'm here for it. So glad to be here. All right, so for anyone who's listening and may not know who you are, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and what you do? Well, I am, what do I do? That's a great question. I do a lot <laughs> right? of things. I, uh, like you mentioned, came out of a music background. So I spent about seven or eight years as a part of Zoe Girl. And it really wasn't until after Zoe Girl came off the road that we, uh, my husband and I started attending a church here in Tennessee. And it was really through a church that would end up becoming a progressive Christian church that I had a crisis of faith. And so essentially I, I went through a process Process of deconstruction and the Lord and His faithfulness helped to reconstruct my faith, uh, and so that's why I write about in my book another gospel. But what I do today is I make podcasts and videos and write books to hopefully equip Christians to identify the core historic claims of Christianity and then to discern its counterfeits because. There are counterfeits. Jesus said there's going to be people come along that are wolves in sheep's clothing. These are going to be people who are bringing in uh, false doctrines, false mm -hmm. prophecies, false gospels. And all throughout the New Testament, we're warned to be looking out for these false teachings. And I don't think that means we need to live in fear or be looking for a heresy under every rock. But there does come a point in time when uh, something comes along that starts sweeping people up. And I think progressive Christianity is like that. I think it, it gives you a different God and a different gospel. So I try to equip Christians to recognize it and to answer it biblically. That's, that's so, so great. Um, I actually listened to your book, um, the audiobook version of Another Gospel, and that's how I, I came across you. And I, I really enjoyed that, listened to it, uh, driving back and forth, uh, dropping the kids off to school whenever I had an opportunity. And it was just really good, really helped. I really enjoyed hearing your story. 
Um, so can you help us give us a definition of what progressive Christianity is and what, like, what exactly are we talking about here? Yeah, it's actually hard to define. And the reason it's hard to define is because progressive Christianity doesn't really work like historic Christianity. So what I mean by that is historically Christians have been united around creeds. There are certain sets of beliefs that unite us. Mm -hmm. And progressive Christianity just doesn't work that way. It's really not so much about what you believe, but it's more about what you do, what causes you're advocating for, and things like that. And so I think it can be helpful to think of progressive Christianity as something that's very fluid. It's constantly changing and evolving. It's progressing, quite literally. Yeah. So there's a broad spectrum of beliefs that's going to fall under that umbrella. So where progressive Christians might not be that united in all the different things they affirm theologically, they're much more united in the things that they deny about historic Christianity. So things like uh, biblical authority, largely speaking, in progressive Christianity just isn't something that's that much of a concern. Uh, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus is largely rejected. The idea that human sin separates us from a holy God. And then I would say the, the denial of the existence of hell would be another one, whereas you might find various views about what what the afterlife might be like or what heaven might be like in progressive Christianity, they're pretty much agreed that hell does not exist. So it sort of touches on the gospel on really key points. Yeah, that's, that's really good to help clarify that and to realize that, you know, this, this, is, this is out there and in our context, it's, it's growing. Um, so St. John's would be North America's probably oldest city, um, but yet we're Canada's newest province. We were the last mm. one to join. Uh, and Christianity has been here for, let's say, probably just over 500 years. Um, but now we find ourselves in a situation where, at least in our capital city for now, less than 1% attend any evangelical church service on any given Sunday. Uh, we have a population over 250,000 on our east coast of our province. And it's, it's a lot of people and not a whole lot of gospel. And what we're seeing is, you know, along with the cultural aspect of, you know, mom and dad were Catholic, Dan and pop were Catholic. I had to have my fish and chips on Good Friday, can't eat, <laughs> can't eat meat. Uh, this is, this is our culture, but we're also seeing people who are breaking away from, you know, mainstream Christianity and denying these things. Uh, we, we're seeing some probably gradual sliding in some denominations here. And it's, it's a worrisome track to be on and see where people can go. Um, so what, what kind of dangers, you know, let, let's talk through some of the dangers of this. Like, why should we believe in the hell? I mean, I, mm. you know, I kind of have, so I believe in hell, right? Uh, but yeah. for anyone listening, why, why do you think we need to believe in hell? Why do we need to believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus? Why are these big things? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the way I would answer it would be to say, we should believe whatever the revealed word of God tells us is true about himself and about the nature of reality. Now, 
I, I, one of the things I think that Christians are confused about sometimes are, well, hey, we might disagree with each other about how to baptize somebody, but yet we're saying we can't disagree about the resurrection or, or the atonement or something like that. Yep. And so I think where we can go for this is to Paul. So in, in I didn't know this for the longest time. I learned this when I was a little bit older and actually as a part of my reconstruction when I was really studying. But I, I learned that our New Testament contains dozens of creeds that actually predate those New Testament books by, in some cases, 20 years or so. And so if you go to the one of the earliest, if not the earliest creed in all of Christianity, it's dated even by the most liberal and skeptical scholars to within anywhere from 18 months to six, seven years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, Paul says, I'm giving to you what was passed down to me, and this is of utmost importance. And so the things that Paul was going to talk about were more important than other beliefs. And so I think right there, we get the cue that not all beliefs are on the same level. And so there is a core that defines the gospel that really have to do with salvation. I think that a belief is essential if it is going to affect you're you getting saved or not right so mm -hmm. um the reason we we should believe in hell is because that's what god has revealed um but we also know as a part of the the core christian story that jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead and there will be um a destination assigned and the bible talks a lot about how god will quarantine evil and suffering away and those who want to be in his presence forever will get to do that and there'll be no sin in heaven there'll be no crying no suffering no tears no pain um, but he he can't do that if he allows evil and hell into heaven and so he has this quarantine for people who don't want to be in his presence forever originally hell was not created for people it was created for the fallen angels and mm -hmm. um for satan and and so uh, but the but the bible and jesus talk about it being a place of everlasting punishment and i think it's okay for christians to sort of realize like this is a difficult thing right no i don't think any christian is excited about hell not really right? <laughs> I, I don't think any of us are like yeah that's such an awesome thing i'm so excited that that exists i'm sure it, it's it's a an area of discomfort for all of us but i think practically when we think it out and we think about the way god has revealed things in his word we just don't have the option to say, well, that that's not going to happen. Because if we throw out hell and there really isn't a place where evil's going to be quarantined away forever, well, then heaven's just going to be like hell. And so it makes sense to me why it exists, even though I don't want anyone to go there. Yeah, I've, I've had some interesting chats with my five-year-old daughter um, about hell <laughs> mm. and what happens. We had uh, my uh, last May, um, one of my wife's uncles passed away and, uh, my, her, we went out to visit her family and I'm the only pastor in the family. Uh, so there was wow. a lot of questions directed at me, right. Uh, about, you know, how, what they felt. And one thing that was interesting was that a lot of them were, were saying, you know, in their, in their spirit, they felt like he was gone to heaven. Uh, and because he had had a heart attack previously and his character had changed and, mm. you know, I hope to very core of my being that he did, you know, confess faith and did turn, turn to Christ, but none of us knew for sure, but a lot of them were saying, no, with their heart, we just have this peace about it. Um, so my daughter asked me and I said, I, I honestly don't know. 
I don't know where he is. And she keeps saying, oh, if we learn about someone, oh, are they, am I going to see them in heaven? So, mm. well, they need to believe in Jesus you know, to be in heaven. Yeah. She's like, if not, they go to hell. I'm like, yes, but that's not something we're happy about. Um, right. just, trying, just trying to help her, like, you know, just bridge the thing. Like, it's not a good thing to um, right. go, go to hell. Uh, but we do need a God who is just, not one of us. We, we don't want a God who just lets evil go by and, you That's know, right. just slides by. But we also, who does, who wouldn't want to serve a God who, you know, just welcomes everyone. Like I, it, it would, it would be ideal. Yeah. It would be so much easier if we could say, yeah, God lets everyone in. But that, that's not yeah. the case. If God, if the Bible is God's word, if it's you know, inspired, inerrant, infallible, uh, then it means that he is just, he is holy, and ultimately he will judge evil. And that means judging our evil in our hearts. And that's a hard yeah. truth. It, it would make some, my job so much easier as a pastor if I could just go to everyone and be like, yeah, you're all welcome. Yeah, it's all good. Wouldn't that be easy? Uh, It would be so much easier, but that's not the case. And thankfully, honestly, it's a hard thing, but thankfully that's not the case. Um, Let's talk about the atonement a bit, because even here I've seen people say, we need to get rid of substitutionary atonement theory. Uh, That's so, uh, you know, child abuse, all all this stuff. Why do you think it's important for us to believe in that? I think it's important to believe in substitutionary atonement because Certainly, the Bible uses lots of different language and metaphors to describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We want to affirm everything the Bible says about Mm -hmm. what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But I can't see how any of those make any sense if I don't have personal forgiveness for my sins. If I'm still in my sins, then it really doesn't do me any good to know that Jesus was a great moral example on the cross or that he even defeated the power of sin and death if I still sin and don't have forgiveness for my personal sin. So that's where substitutionary atonement comes in because all of us, as the Bible tells us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death and the free gift of God is eternal life. And so Jesus, living that perfectly sinless life that we couldn't live for ourselves and taking our sins upon himself, to me, I can't think of a more just, that's why I, I just boggles my mind when I hear people refer to it as cosmic child abuse. It would only be cosmic child abuse if God the Father was forcing the Son to do it, mm-hmm. or if yep. you know Jesus was powerless in the, in the whole thing. But, but really, when you understand the Trinity, you actually have the opposite of cosmic child abuse because you have God looking out and rather than choosing some kind of hapless victim or you know innocent person that that just has to be punished so that he can be satisfied you have him saying i'll do it yep. and then you have the incarnation god in flesh jesus even said no one takes my life from me but i lay it down willingly i have the authority given by the father to do this and um and there's an interesting scene too where peter comes to jesus and jesus uh predicts his own death and resurrection and peter opposes him and he says no no i mean i almost feel like peter could be saying no that's cosmic child abuse let's not do that (laughs) right and um that's when jesus famously says get behind me satan and he, and he goes on to tell Peter, your mind is on things of the earth, not on things of heaven. And so I think that when we put it through that lens of cosmic child abuse, we have our mind on things of the earth. We're thinking of our own maybe moral sense of justice, but God is justice. There's not 
an arbitrary standard of justice outside of God that he has to live up to in order for us to say, okay, yeah, God is just now. He is justice itself. In fact, we only know what that word means because it's based on his nature and character. Mm -hmm. And that's how he chose to do it. And that's what he calls just. And so I don't, I don't, think that I would have the right to disagree with him about that, but it would be more my position to receive the free gift. Absolutely. Uh, we did the Easter series, uh, 2020. Yes. During when COVID first hit COVID has messed up my whole calendar and my memory, I think, <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. uh, we did the Easter series and we did it on the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And I was a lucky one that got to do a sermon on my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, um, one of the hardest hard one. and the heaviest <laughs> sermons I have written, but it gave me so much more appreciation for what happened in that moment. That it was at that moment that all of God's wrath was poured out on God, the son, mm. not just a child, not just someone's son, uh, but God in unity, in Trinity, one will. Mm. They were of the same yes. will. So it's God bearing God's wrath, essentially. So we create the problem. And not only does God, you know, judge that problem, he, he judges it rightfully and, and justly, but he offers us a way out of it. It's not mm. just, hey, I have wrath and now you're going to suffer. No, he's like, I, I have wrath, I'm going to judge, but here's a way out of it. And that's a very loving God because nowhere does it say that God is obligated to offer us a way out of, you know, his judgment. He, right. It's not like he, he owes us that. And again, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't, it does us no good if Jesus was just a moral example and was killed or if he just defeated the power of sin. Um, he defeats sin ultimately. He defeats mm -hmm. death in his resurrection. He points us right to who God is. Not only that, but he gives us the right to be made children, to be heirs. And then if we're heirs, then what is what the son inherits, we also inherit. You know, yes. we have his righteousness, we we have Preach. everything. And uh it's that's so much more, I think, beneficial than just saying Jesus was a good person. He was a good teacher. Uh he did it so that you could live your best life now. Uh, you know, it's right is yeah so if you're listening to this and you find yourself thinking yeah i don't know if hell is necessary i don't know if i really need to believe in substitutionary atonement um now don't get me wrong there are other theories of the atonement which are which are good but yeah they all they can all be summed up within substitutionary atonement that's if you just have redemption theory all you have is just that you don't have bearing god's wrath you don't have um Jesus, you know, defeating sin and death, he, all these other theories to be summed up within substitution, substitutionary theory, atonement, atonement theory. I am stumbling over my words, but that's fantastic. That's what yeah, editing that's is good. for. <laughs> Preach it. But uh, yeah, so uh, final question for you here. Um, how should we approach progressive Christians? If we come across someone who's progressive, mm -hmm. um, we obviously want to be able to, you know, bring them into the true gospel to what the Bible actually says. We don't want them to go to hell. <laughs> That's right. not something we want. Uh, so how should we approach it, whether this person knows they're progressive, they identify as that, or whether they're not really aware that they're within a progressive church or progressive belief system? How do you think we should approach them? Yeah, I think that this is going to require a bit of diagnosis on each person's part. So, you know, I would analyze your relationship with this person, how how close are you? I think nothing is more annoying to somebody who 
maybe is in deconstruction or become a progressive Christian than to, you know, get an invitation for a coffee date from Susie at church who who's never had coffee with you before, but all of a sudden <laughs> wants a coffee date. You know what I mean? So maybe assess what is your relationship with this person. If you're close, if it's a family member, do a little bit of triage. How, how much have they bought into this? Are they just confused? If they're just confused, you might have more of an inroad to be able to challenge some of the assumptions and and maybe try to guide them toward some truthful uh, conclusions. But if the person's a little bit further down the road, if they're actually in deconstruction, there's a lot of people in deconstruction that will say, I don't want to talk to my Christian friends because they just want to fix me and I just need some space. I want to, I need to work this out. And so I tell people, especially parents, if you have grown children who are in deconstruction, parents will come to me, what do I do? And I'll say, you know, you have a a real fragile opportunity to just stay in their life. You know, they know what you believe about everything. Um, if they're not asking you to input into their lives theologically, they probably don't want you to. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you'll never have an opportunity to, but it's also okay to show them love, to listen, to stay in their life, um, and not drive them away by trying to fix their theology right away. And I know that sounds a little counterintuitive for us as Christians because we're truth people, right? We want people to believe the truth. We don't want people to go to hell. And I would just say, listen to the Holy Spirit. There, there, there might be an opportunity for you to be able to have a, a serious conversation. Maybe even you could ask that person, you know, how much can I, can I, offer in this conversation or do you just want to you know i'd love to just hear your story of, of what you're thinking and why you're thinking this new way and so i think it's just it's one of those things that's going to be individual you're, it's going to require a lot of wisdom reliance on the holy spirit and also just being okay with realizing it could be a really long hall kind of situation that maybe the opportunity won't come for a while but if you can just live the gospel in front of them with peace in your heart and joy in your life um, i think that you're going to be the one they're going to come to when it all falls apart because we are starting to hear stories from people who have gone into deconstruction and progressive christianity who get to the bottom of that and go they didn't give me anything to <laughs> replace the thing they tore down and now i'm realizing that thing wasn't so bad maybe there were some abuses of it that i could you know uh, correct, but I, I've, I've seen some people come back because they realize that there's really nothing that is being given to them that's meaningful and that is truthful. And so um, I would just say prayer, reliance on the Holy Spirit, stay in the Word and live the gospel out um, with beauty in front of them. So I don't have a coffee and hit someone over the head with the Bible. Right, yeah. Don't don't call Susie for coffee when you've never had coffee with Susie before all of a sudden. <laughs> no, that, that's really good. Um, one thing about Newfoundlanders, we're, we're very blunt in our humor and very, we can be very sarcastic. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, that, that's really good because uh, you, you talked about, you mentioned their abuses of uh, religion and the power and authority, uh, which can drive a lot of people away. And actually, Newfoundland is home to one of the biggest uh, Roman Catholic sex scandals, uh, which is still just being, still being paid out to some of the victims. Uh, wow. one of the orphans orphanages that was here so there have been a lot of people who have struggled with that so we i mean we're, we're facing people who have a lot of deep religious hurt distrust uh people who would claim they're christian uh and then places with just no local church and this is so good to know because we're going to come across so many different people in our church planting efforts uh, Matt Leahy, who is planting in a small town or a small community called Kilbride, it's about 10, eight to 10,000 people, depending on where you draw the boundary. 
and there has never been an evangelical church in his wow. community. Uh, there was a Roman Catholic church in 1892, and that one burned down. And that was the last wow. time there was a local church there. Uh, so he has some really deep rooted tradition, but people have distrust of clergy. People have a distrust of the church. And, you know, we have to be able to point them to what Christianity actually is. It's, it's not, it, you know, we mourn, we should be able to mourn with them the abuse of power. Yeah. And, you know, truth is never afraid of a question. That's One right. thing we say very often in, in, in our offices is, you know, ask a question. We might not always know the answer, but uh, we need to be willing to walk with people in their journeys with Christ. And that means whether even if they're theologically different, uh, we can pray for them and walk with them. I mean, I'm, I'll be turning 33 next month, and it took God 33 years to get me where I am now. There you go. <laughs> right? We can often look at people and think, why aren't you getting it? Yeah. And not realizing the journey is ahead of them. And we can pray for people, and you, know, you could be on your deathbed, and someone can say, like, what good did your prayers do? But you're the one that's dying, not your children, not the people you're praying for. Right? As long as they draw breath, God is still able to work in, in their lives. He's still able to draw them through his Holy Spirit to his word, you know, opening their eyes to the truth. And you know, it's, it goes far beyond us. So if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, um, you, know, you can look up uh, Elisa on her website. And I, I really, uh, really encourage you to listen to her book, Another Gospel, if you're curious to uh, more of her story and progressive Christianity. But I would also challenge you as well to, we say this a lot, just, just read your Bible. <laughs> uh, don't, don't chicken McNugget your Bible. Don't take pieces here and there uh, and apply that to your life, but read it in its whole, in its entirety, and you'll get to see God's plan throughout time uh, to redeem humanity, to show us that he is compassionate, that he is slow to anger, he is loving, he is righteous and just. And I pray that you'll find a God you know, the God, the one true God of the universe, and not a watered-down gospel, not a gospel that makes you feel comfortable, but one that challenges you and encourages you to become more like Christ and less like the world and yourself. Um, so, Elisa, I just want to thank you very much for joining us and, again, giving us your time and helping us break down just even just very briefly uh, in these last 30 minutes about what progressive Christianity is and how we can go about, you know, uh, identifying it and how to connect with people. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me, Adam. It was great to talk with you and I'm going to be praying for you guys with their church planting and it sounds so exciting. It, it is. And a uh, shameless plug, if you know of anyone who is interested in supporting church planters, send them our way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, take care. You too. Thanks. You've been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is brought to you by Mile One Mission. If you want to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland and Labrador, visit www.mileonemission.ca.